Folks, let's turn to the Word of God now, as this morning we finish up our summer series in Galatians. Uh, when I was away on my holidays, uh, John wanted to work through Galatians, and he got us up to about chapter 4, uh, and now I'm back, we've been finishing it up over these past couple of weeks. We're in Galatians 6 this morning, uh, page 1239 in the large print Bibles, and 975 in the small print, 1239 in the large print, and 975 in the small print. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with Galatians, uh, then it is a book with, with one big issue, how are we right with God? And of course, Paul's gospel was a gospel of grace. We are right with God, declared righteous, justified through grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. This group called the Judaizers were coming into the church in Galatia, and they were saying, well, you know, that's okay, but you also, you've got to be circumcised. You've, you've got to do that, and you've got to do this other stuff, otherwise, otherwise you're not right with God. And we look at that and think, that's madness. How could they ever believe that? And yet we're as guilty in this day and age. We, we're right with God through faith in Christ, but what church do you go to? What version of the Bible do you use? You know, how do you dress when you go to church? And all those extra things we add into, uh, and we, we make it a, a test of our faith. Paul says, no, the gospel is one of grace, and the Judaizers stand condemned for teaching a false gospel. As we close out in Galatians 6, uh, we read about our response, what, what comes as a result of us being justified and, and understanding justification in the way that we do. So 1239, large print, 975, small print, and this is the word of God. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, for you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. And anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, and the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit, will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble 
for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Amen indeed. And we thank God today for his word. When I got to church this morning, this sermon was a certain length. And after several people reminded me that Rangers play Celtic today, and I better not be long-winded, this sermon got a little bit longer. It's your fault, gentlemen, for that. But I wonder what your expectation is this morning. It's the 1st of September, uh, 2018. Church is an odd sort of place. We, we take the summer off. We go our separate ways. Everything sort of slows down a wee bit. And then when it comes to September, everything starts back. All the organizations, all the meetings, we've got to meet, we've got to organize, we've got to plan, we've got to do stuff. Suddenly we're out all the time, everything's busy. But I wonder what your expectations were. Getting out of bed this morning, coming to church. I wonder what your expectations are for this new church year, the 1st of September, right through to the end of June. And then I go on holidays again to Port Rush, by God's grace. What are your expectations? See, it seems to me that often when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ, our expectations are down on the floor. We expect certain things about the areas of life that we're involved in. When we enjoy, uh, go and join a gym, we expect to get fitter. We don't expect to put weight on. When we go out for coffee with a friend, we expect to have a good time, to have a chat and a nice wee bun. When we join a certain organization, we expect to either use their golf course or, or walk their wee walks with them every summer. We expect things. And yet when it comes often to the church, we expect nothing. We come here on a Sunday morning, and that really is the story for the vast majority of us. We, we come for an hour on a Sunday morning. We don't really expect very much. Maybe with lots of hopes. Hopefully you'll finish at 12. Hopefully you'll not be long-winded. Hopefully I'll be home for the match, but we don't really expect very much. But my friends, I hope and pray that this is a year where expectation in this church will be raised. I hope it's a, it's a year where we expect much of the Lord, because he is able to do great and mighty things. You see, when I was finishing up the summer there, I was preaching in Board Mills. They were getting a new minister, and we welcomed the Reverend Richard Patton. Uh, as their new minister down the road at Board Mills. And I, I made it a part of my sermon to lower their expectations somewhat, because often when a new minister comes, he's the best thing since sliced bread, and then when you spend enough time in a place, ah, oh, people just get fed up. Don't they? It's not the way of it. I wanted to lower their expectations. Richard's not going to come down the road there and fix Board Mills and, and see thousands of people filling that church. I wanted them to be realistic, I also wanted them to expect much of Christ. You see, while a minister and a new minister will eventually let you down, Christ never will. And when it comes to his bride, his body, the church of Jesus Christ, I want our expectations this year to be raised. I want us to come here on a Sunday expecting to meet with the Lord, expecting to be fed in his word, expecting to have fellowship with one another, expecting to be challenged and encouraged by the Holy Spirit as he works, expecting to be made more like Christ as the word is preached, as we attend to the ordinary means of grace, we expect to become more like Jesus. And you might think, well, Scott, that's, that's your expectation as Presbyterians, we do things differently, we expect nothing, we get nothing, and we're happy like that, but, but 
Let's raise the focus a wee bit, folks. And it's not my idea. It's not my plan or my strategy. It is the Word of God. Last week, as we finished chapter 5 in Galatians, we, we spoke about how, uh, as we keep in step with the Holy Spirit, we will be grown up like Christ. We will see evidence of that saving faith in our lives. We will see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Paul says in chapter 5, verse 22, The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. Paul expects us to understand this, and he expects us to, to seek these things out, to desire growth in grace. And you see, that is the natural outcome of of understanding the true gospel. If you have believed the gospel that says, well, it's about you and working hard and being justified by other things, then that is a false gospel. But Paul's purpose in Galatians is to help us understand the gospel of grace. And when we understand it, when we are saved, when we are declared righteous by God, the big word for that is justification, then we are gifted God, the Holy Spirit. And Paul expects us to understand that we will grow in the faith. And so, my brothers and sisters, as we read about the fruits of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, do you expect in your life to see more and more evidence of that in this coming year? Now, you shouldn't expect to be perfect. None of us will be this side of glory. And you shouldn't be someone who constantly is looking yourself in the mirror and saying, well, do I love people more today? Am I more self-controlled today? Am I more gentle today? That way lies madness. As we come every day before the Lord in prayer, as we seek to walk with him, as we sit under his word, we can expect to be growing up as the Spirit works in our lives. It's not just a preacher's hope. It's the word of God. And Paul continues that teaching as he finishes in chapter 6. He urges us that as we, we expect this in our family of church or faith, as we expect coming to this place to be built up, then as a result of that, as a result of believing in Christ and being justified by faith, and as the Spirit works in us, then we are to help one another. Verse 1 in chapter 6 says that we are to help one another if, if someone is caught in a transgression. Those of us who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. What Paul is saying there is if we come across a brother or sister in Christ who has fallen into sin, we don't show them the door. We don't stick the boot in them and kick them out. We, we seek firstly and primarily to restore them. And it's not a restoration that says, oh, sure, never worry about it. We all make mistakes. Come on ahead. It's a restoration that sees that brother or sister repent of that sin and be restored to the full family of faith. It's not always possible. Often in the church, what tends to happen is, is someone uh, heads out the door and never comes back, and that's the end of it. That's the end of the story. But here Paul says, this is what I expect as an apostle. As you meet together, as you love one another, restore one another. Now watch out, watch your back, because sometimes you too will be tempted, but that doesn't rob us from the responsibility to restore one another if we're caught in sin. Paul continues, he says in verse 2, that we are to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We should expect this in our lives. We should be men and women who encourage one another, 
help one another, build one another up, not to gossip about one another behind each other's backs, not to seek to harm one another, not to say, oh, did you hear about your man down the street, but instead, help one another. When there's trouble, when there's difficulty, we, we speak, we share, we pray together, we carry one another's burden. And Paul reminds us, if you think you are something when you're nothing, then you deceive yourself. And it's not often the way in the Christian church. We, we get to a place where we think we are the bee's knees. There's nobody like me. There's nobody like you. We, we are something. But Paul here reminds us that as the Spirit is at work, as the gospel is preached, as lives are transformed, there is no room in the Christian church for you and I to be thinking that we are the kings and the queens of the castle. Instead, Paul says, we are to test our own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. So instead of, of looking at our works and our abilities and how we have helped someone and boasting about it, we are to examine ourselves and then we might have reason to boast. But not really, of course. Because as we live with the Spirit, as we walk and keep in step with him, we will realize as we test our own works that there's nothing to boast about. Paul here doesn't urge us to have a focus on ourselves so that we can pat ourselves on the back. Instead, he urges us to, to keep a real proper perspective of, of who we are. If we are anything, if we are anyone, that is because we are in Christ. We boast in him, as we will later discover in this passage. But when it comes to life in the Christian church, we bear one another's burden. We do not boast about our abilities and our talents. We examine our works and, and often we'll realize sometimes our sinful motives for doing the things that we do. But Paul continues in that vein. He says in verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. When it comes to life in the church of Jesus Christ, those are, are the two avenues, the two paths, the, the two motives before us. We can sow to the flesh. We can live according to our own agenda. We can be men and women who, who have our own attitudes and beliefs, and men and women who whisper behind closed doors and stir up division in the body. But, but Paul says, don't, don't be foolish. If that's the road you want to go, if you're sowing to the flesh, God will not be mocked. God will not put up with that endless mockery in the body of Christ. Instead, sow to the Spirit. Sow to the things of God. Give, give yourself to the work of the church of Jesus Christ. Be men and women of faith who live that out every single day. Not just on a Sunday morning, but every single day. And my friends, here's the reality. I'm not preaching this today to expect you to be down here every night of the week, every morning of the week, every hour of the week. But if you give more time to outside organizations, if, if your heart is captured by the beauty of an orange lodge, or if you are a woman who thinks there's nothing like the Women's Institute, and you find yourself slowly but surely despising the Church of Christ, I pray that by the Holy Spirit's work in your life, your expectation would grow and you would realize that this wee place that we meet on a regular basis is entirely significant, entirely special. And this should be a place that is constant in your diary. Not once in a blue moon, but constant. 
few years ago, uh, I went to the Pilates group that meets here. Uh, and it, it was fairly easy. I'm an active sort of guy. I, I know where my compass is and all the rest of it. But I probably couldn't do it this morning. I haven't done it in years. But it's not what we're like a Christian sometimes. Oh, I went to church. Oh, I know all about it. When was the last time you prayed with your brothers and sisters? When was the last time you sat in a little room in this building with, with 12 others and asking questions of the Word of God? When was the last time that you bear one another's burdens? When was the last time that you came in here and said, you know what, the match is on, but I don't care. I'm going to have a cup of tea with someone. I'm going to chat to someone. I'm, I'm going to expect much from myself and from the family that God has put me in. Brothers and sisters, may our bar be raised in 2018 and 2020. May we sow according to the Spirit. May we reap the reward that is eternal life. And may we share with one another. Verse 6 says, Let the one who has taught the Word share all good things with the one who teaches. Again, this is not a sermon today to, to ask for a pay raise. This is not asking you for 100% or even 50 that's not it at all, but I want to thank you today that what I do on a weekly basis is enabled and equipped by you. The team has said that already. They were able to go to Romania because you people put your hands in your pocket. And I am able to, to focus on preaching the word and doing whatever else it is I'm doing during the week because you people put your hands in your pocket. That's entirely biblical and evidence of the spirit at work. Stinginess in the body of Christ is evidence that we have dried up in our faith. Instead, I think in our church, we are the opposite of stingy. May that continue. And may we not grow weary of doing good, says Paul in verse 9. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. What a verse that is. What a challenge that is. Because you see, as you raise your expectations of this place Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, and as you raise your expectations under Christ of yourself, and as you expect to see growth in your life, and as you expect to see people coming to faith, and as you expect to see people responding to, to your ministry and how you work, well, sometimes the response to that will be a slap in the face. Sometimes in your Christian walk, you will grow weary. That happens while you are a minister or a leader in the GB, or a Sunday school teacher, or someone who, who does their best to reach out to their neighbors, or, or someone who, who just loves their family, even though their family does not love Christ. And at times you just grow weary in it. You think, Lord, they're never going to listen. There's no fruit in this work. There's no response in this work. I'm going to give up. The apostle says, keep on going. Do not grow weary of doing good. Keep on going. Do not respond to hurt in your life with bitterness and, and strife. Keep on going. Do more good. If someone hurts you and lets you down, love them and pick them up. If someone calls you names, then don't respond with various names back, but love them and encourage them and pray for them. Keep on going. This is the apostles' expectation of Christ's church. And so as we respond to this passage, verse 10, I think, sums it up for us. Paul says, See, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. 
See, sometimes you might sit there and listen to a sermon and think, well, well what do I do with that? Scott doesn't make much sense, and, and I don't know what he wants me to take away this morning from that. I, I don't know what, what the big plan is compared to Scott's sermon there. What, what do we do? What do we do with that? In black and white and simple terms, we hear the word of God, and it says, every day as you have opportunity, do good to everyone. This is a practical outworking of your saving faith. Do good to your neighbor. Do good to the people that are out to get you. Do good to the colleagues at work that you don't speak to. Do good to the, the guy that you bump into and you, you once were friends with him, but he's never really forgiven you for stealing his girlfriend. Do good to him. Love people. But when you hear this challenge, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See, often as, as we think of our faith, we, we think naturally of the outward extension. We'll go outside and we'll serve and we'll preach and we'll proclaim, we'll, we'll do that. But, but when it comes down here, not so much. I'm going to share the gospel with the lost, but I'm not going to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says, do good to everyone and especially your brothers and sisters, especially to the household of faith. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that in itself a wonderful challenge? That in the household of faith that we find ourselves in, we raise our expectations of ourselves, we raise our expectations of this place, and we love one another. We do good to one another. We, we refuse to allow cliques to develop. We refuse to allow gossip and slander to be the talk of the day. And instead, we, we do good to the household of faith. We speak well of the household of faith. We do not slander the household of faith. We encourage the household of faith. Here is our expectation for this brand new year. And as if to underline it, Paul takes the pen, takes the pencil away from the scribe, and he says in verse 11, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. And that was a, a common thing. Paul would, would dictate the letter, and a, a professional scribe would write it down. Maybe Paul's writing wasn't so good. We believe his eyesight wasn't terribly good. And so Paul takes the, the stylus, the pen, the word processor, and he writes it himself in these final verses. He says, see the large letters I write to you with my own hand. And his final verses are, are just a reminder of what this letter is all about. And as we expect much of our churches and ourselves, and therefore expect much of God, we should also expect that the enemies of Christ will never be too far away. Paul says in verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh, who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. And has it not always been the heart of the false teachers in the church? They don't want to make much of Christ. They don't want the church to be filled with the good news of Jesus. Instead, they want you to make much of them. They want you to make much of their talents and their abilities and their authority. It's always been this way. 
and as we expect to come here on a Sunday to be encouraged and challenged and for that to flow into the lives of others and the household of faith, we can expect that there will always be wolves in among the sheep in the church of Christ. And so brothers and sisters, be aware of that. Be aware of those influences in your life that are always speaking negatively. Negative words are, are like poison, drip, drip, drip into the life of a church. Be aware of those influences and those voices that, that are always speaking not of Christ, but of themselves. Always speaking not of the gospel, but maybe slandering other believers. Be careful, says the apostle. Paul wants these men and women to have nothing to do with the Judaizers. Last week we heard how he said, I wish they would emasculate themselves. I, I wish that they would cut themselves off from the fellowship. Paul is no friend of those who would seek to bring division to the church of Jesus. And so this year, my brothers and sisters, expect moments where Satan attacks the church. Expect moments where you and I must be much in prayer and much in encouragement to stand the trials and the temptations that the evil one brings. But for Paul, and for you and me, as we stand firm under those attacks, Paul says, we will not boast in ourselves. We will not expect to have revel or relationships where, where I am the main thing or, or you are the center of someone's world. Far be it from us, says the apostle in verse 14, to boast except in the cross of Christ. Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you can expect, my brothers and sisters, change in your life. If you bear the, the title Christian, if you are a man or woman of faith, then you can expect to be transformed. There's an old saying, I'm saved, but I'm stuck. Well, as a believer, you're saved, but hopefully never stuck. Because as the Spirit works, we, we read what he does. In Christ, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In Christ, Paul says, there has been a dramatic change in status of the one who is called upon Jesus. In Christ, we can expect to, to love the things of God and the things of his church more than the things of this world. And we know what it is like in this current day and age, don't we? Hard border. Hard border. Isn't that right? Brexit, is it going to happen? Big Boris. Oh, let me tell you about Boris. Do you think if he lived in Ballon Hinch, your kids would play with his kids? No, they wouldn't. Do you think if he lived in Ballon Hinch, he would send his kids to our local schools? They'd be away in Switzerland or something, away far from the likes of us. Folks, politicians, Brexit, all that stuff, we are crucified to that. And may we be alive to what the Spirit is going to do in us and in this church throughout this new season. You see, neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but what counts in the eyes of God is a new creation. And often in church we sing, I am a new creation, no more incarnation. But you know what? As Presbyterians, we're secretly shaking our heads thinking, oh, I'm not. I'm not changing for nothing or nobody. But Paul says, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. If you are in Christ, then you are part of the church. Paul calls it in verse 16 a, a beautiful phrase. He calls it the Israel of God. 
you are in Christ, you are part of His church. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. If you are in Christ, then you can expect to be transformed as the Word is preached and as the table is set and as we pour forward the waters of baptism in Christ, you can expect to be encouraged in this place and built up. In Christ, you have a responsibility and a role in this place. You are part of the people of God, the church of Christ, the Israel of God. Did you expect that this morning when you climbed out of your bed? Did you expect it this morning when you wept because you have to lock up your caravan and come back to Bell and Hinge? Folks, that's what we are. That's who we are. And it has been won for us, not by our works. That's Paul's big, grand theme. It has been won for us, not by works, but by faith in Christ, who was the sacrifice the obedient, suffering servant whose life was taken at Calvary and whose body was raised from the dead on the third day. Christ is the one we boast in. Christ is the one who has saved us. And so may Christ be made much of in this church and may we expect, expect transformation in our lives, transformation in our time, transformation in this church. I'm glad that we're in Galatians 6 on the 1st of September 2018. I hope it's a passage that you and I privately and maybe even in this place come back to throughout the next 11 months or so before we open the caravans up again. But just now we finish with this word of grace in verse 18. A benediction, a bene, a good diction word, a good word from the apostle. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. May it be so, Eden Grove. May it be so.